point number two then is this. Jesus was pictured in the Old Testament. That's a typology. I mentioned there's three different ways that Jesus is pictured in the Old Testament. The first one is the physical manifestation. That's a Christophany. The second one is, a, is an illustration. It's a picture of, of Jesus. And this is often done through typology. Now, a type within typology can be an object or it can be a uh, it can actually be a person. But key point number two is this, that Jesus was pictured in the Old Testament. That's typology. His pictures in the Old Testament help us to understand his fulfillment in the New Testament. So let's look at verse 7 as an as example of typology. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And then if you skip down to verse 21, it says, also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Now, I mentioned this previously in our parable series. Garments throughout Scripture uh, are to point us back to Genesis 3, to this very passage that we just read. Why? because it's all about atonement. The word atone means to cover. If we have atonement for our sin, what does that mean? We have a covering for our sin. We have covered it. We, we know and we understand that Jesus has made atonement. He has covered our, our sin. How did he do that? He did that by shedding his own blood. But there's numerous examples in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where coverings, garments are mentioned. Let me give you a few of these, and if you get a chance, read through them with the lens of understanding that that garment is now a picture of atonement. And wow, when you read through these narratives, you're, you're going to see a whole new understanding. Joseph and his coat, many colors. Hmm. When you read through Joseph, you read about his coat. It was all about atonement. But it wasn't just his atonement that he was working toward. He was working toward an atonement that was going to cover many people. How about the parable of the wedding feast? We looked at this one recently in which the man didn't, he showed up without the proper garments on. And he was expelled. And it seems harsh until you understand that it was really about atonement, that the man was showing up without being covered. How about this one? How about Leviticus 19.19? 19? You shall not wear garments of two kinds of material mixed together. That one seems so strange. But if you understand it in terms of atonement, it just simply means this, that you cannot have atonement coming from two different sources. Atonement only happens from one source. And we see that Christ has fulfilled that perfectly in the New Testament. He is the one source for atonement. Even Jesus himself was stripped of his garments. The language that is used is similar to stripping a sheep of their wool. The Jesus' garments were stripped then they cast lots for them. 
But this is what's so, so incredible. John 19, listen to this. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to each soldier apart. And also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from the top in one piece. Hmm. Even the clothing that Jesus himself was wearing was a type pointing us to the atonement. That he is the only source. That there is not even a seam in his garment. That's, that's incredible. That even his clothes. But here's what the typology does for us. Even the typology supports the Christophany of Genesis 3. Here's what I mean by that. Just as Jesus was the one who fulfilled the atonement by giving his life on the cross, look back, look at what he did, verse 21. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. His physical presence in the Old Testament, because of that typology, he was the one who made the animal coverings. The same Jesus who knows what he's going to do in the New Testament, who knows that he is going to be the one providing atonement ultimately by his own sacrificial death, is the one who, catch this, prior to sin... Death did not exist. Couldn't have. Death was a consequence of sin. No death had, ex- had ever come upon the earth until man had sinned. It was a consequence. When sin occurred and death entered the world, this is the first occurrence of death. Jesus killed a lamb to provide the covering, the atonement for Adam and Eve, the covering that they needed. His physical presence was there in the garden. He physically killed an animal, sacrificed an animal, a type, an animal that is going to be a picture of him, and he is physically doing this in the Garden of Eden. What an incredible typology, but it also supports our Christophany. Adam made, Adam, he made Adam and Eve tunics of skin and clothed them. So who else would do this other than the second person of the triune Godhead, other than Jesus himself? It would seem to be the most appropriate of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit That the Son of God, the one who will give them a picture of who he is and what he is doing, is himself, as, as himself, is going to accomplish this on the cross. So when it comes to typology, just as there's tons of Christophanies, there's a lot of typology. And I encourage you to look for types that point us to Christ. The door on Noah's Ark. 
It's a type of Christ. The sacrificial offerings mentioned throughout Leviticus are a type of Christ. Isaac was a type of Christ. Joseph was a type of Christ. What does each one do? Each one points us to Jesus. So what the Old Testament pictures in typology, Jesus fulfills in the New Testament. So before we move on, let me ask you another question. Don't answer out loud. I just want you to get your answer in your mind. How were people saved in the Old Testament? How were people saved in the Old Testament? Now let me tell you what I used to think, and then I'm going to share with you um, what I've discovered the Bible teaches. Here's what I used to think. I used to think that in the Old Testament, the way that the Old Testament saints were saved was through works and through the sacrifices. And as long as they had good works and as long as they had sacrifices and did the sacrifices, just like the Lord instructed, then the Old Old Testament saints were good, right? But what if that's not how they were saved? In fact, I'm going to suggest that they are saved the same way that you and I would be saved. What do I mean by that? That they are saved by grace through faith. That nothing has ever changed concerning how a person is saved. The object of their faith was the Messiah. The Hebrew word Messiah, translated into Greek, is Christ. So how were the people in the Old Testament saved? They had a faith that at some point in the future, a Messiah is going to come. And they had all of these different types of of pictures, of typology, that is pointing them to Christ so that they would know when he comes. Now, just like today, there are some people that don't get it. And just like then, there were some people who didn't get it. But the object of our faith has always been the Messiah. None of their sacrifices were sufficient for salvation. If they were sufficient for salvation, then Jesus coming to die on a cross would have been pointless. We could have just continued to do those sacrifices. But those sacrifices were nothing more than symbolic in nature, pointing us forward to the coming Messiah. We, on the other hand, do what? We look back. They looked forward. We look in reverse. They were saved by grace through faith, looking to the future tense of his arrival. We are saved by grace through faith, looking back at what he has accomplished on the cross. But throughout history, mankind is never saved by works. We are never saved by sacrifices of our own doing. We are saved by one and only one sacrifice. And that's the sacrifice that the Messiah made on the Old Testament saints' behalf and on our behalf. 